0: more aggressive decisions and uh, more harsh decisions because this is going to hurt really bad.
1: Hi, this is Eric Paglia in Stockholm, Sweden. Time now for episode three of Corona Crisis Once Upon a Pandemic. I'm joined by Mark Vandenbosch on the phone line. Mark, we have a really interesting guest today. I had a conversation earlier this morning. It's the 27th of March, Friday. I spoke with Dr. Bjorn Olsen. He is a professor of infectious medicine at Uppsala University. He has some pretty powerful things to share with us today about how we should be looking at this situation here in Sweden has some uh, thoughts on some very sh- some very strong thoughts on the management of this crisis so far and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment we we'll do a very quick introduction today but mark any uh, news you want to share with us just to kind of get the ball rolling
2: well I mean there's so much going on every single day I mean this is this is an unbelievable situation uh, 800 people or so uh, passed away yesterday in Spain uh, the New York situation is is really uh, getting critical New Orleans in the United States also is another potential not potential I mean it's going to be uh, some sort of epicenter in the very near future and then Sweden itself also, the situation is, is deteriorating, actually, deteriorating quite quickly, even though there's a odd sense of normalcy when you look around in the street. People are jogging, uh, walking around with their kids and all that. But the truth is, behind the scenes, a lot of really tough things are taking place right now.
1: There was a press conference earlier this afternoon uh, featuring uh, Prime Minister Stefan Levin and several uh, government ministers and heads of agencies. I was expecting Stockholm to go on quarantine or something like that. I was expecting a major announcement. But it was basically the main point was that gatherings of... Uh, No more than 50 people are now allowed down from 500. It didn't seem that radical, actually.
2: No, it's a very incremental uh, step, really. Uh, It's a further restriction, of course, but it it still doesn't really go far enough. I mean, you're seeing now across the world, and we talked a little bit about this a few days ago, that some very big names and personalities such as, you know, actors and and sports figures and politicians today, Boris Johnson tested positive. And uh, obviously, uh, this is sort of uh, spiraling quite a bit. And I think in Sweden, we're going to have to take more drastic steps steps in the very near future.
1: Corona crisis, once upon a pandemic with me, Eric Paglia and Mark Vandenbosch. And now let's move over to the interview with uh, today's guest, Dr. Bjorn Olsen, Professor of Infectious Medicines at Uppsala University. Dr. Olsen, um, what is the current situation in Sweden regarding the spread of the coronavirus and uh, how is it projected to develop? In other words, uh, where are we on the curve and where does it look like we're going?
0: That's the million-dollar question, actually. But uh, I think if if you follow the same trajectory as other countries are doing, I think we are in the sort of beginning of the rising and up the slope. And it's getting steeper and steeper, unfortunately, because when it comes to this disease, you have such a long delay. It's not like measles, for example, where you become infected one day and you you became sick 10 days later or something like that with pronounced, uh, you have the rash and everything like that to become extremely sick. This is, first of all, you have a, from infection, you have a long incubation period, let's say five up to 14 days, something like that. And after that, you become sick for a while, let's say for a week. And after a week, you start to deteriorate and then you are admitted to hospital or something like that. And after another additional one more couple of days, then you become real, real sick. So do you see already there you have one month, more or less let's say, between two and four weeks, something like that. And that's the problem with this disease because, and you also infect a lot of people in cycles. I mean, what we did when we didn't put people in quarantine after these uh, winter holidays, they coming from Italy and from Austria, what we did was to introduce the infection extremely effectively into the Swedish community and they started to spread. First along these pathways that we can track all the way back to one Italian traveler. But after a while, this sort of spreading change started to live their own life and branch up in other branches. So therefore, yeah, was there you have a, a time lapse in that development.
1: Was that a failure Are then the, to not quarantine already at that point? you think Absolutely,
0: that- absolutely. Yeah, we warned about that. You said we have the there is absolutely clearly something is going on in the in the Lombardy province and uh, okay they said no, no it's no problem because it's just on the lowlands and it's not up in the in the Alps so we don't have it in the ski resorts bullshit of course we had because people are moving up and up and down from the lowland up to to the ski resorts so it was widely spread so of course we had it what we did was to import or taking back, repatriate a big cohort of people infected with this coronavirus. And there we lost control.
1: So you lost control. So are we? is it too late at this point to really take any aggressive measures?
0: Well, it's not too late. I mean, if, if, if we follow the South Korean example, for example, we can take back the control. But then we need to have, well, first of all, we have to measure. We have to detect, 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 detect. But what I think Sweden re- need right now, because we have such a hard pressure already now, in the beginning of the slope on the uh, healthcare system, I think we need to suppress. I think th- that's the only way out, to suppress as much as possible, or even quarantine parts of Sweden or something like that, so we don't spread it all over the country. Uh, so we have to suppress it as hard as we can and give a limited timeline for this suppression Otherwise, people become nuts. So they have to have, to have something to wait for. Or see. They, they can see forward in the horizon. Okay, we have lighthouse over there. It's going to be a long way there, but at the end, we're going to end up there. So therefore, I think it's important to suppress it as much as possible, stop the infection chains, and also uh, lower the pressure on the healthcare system. But we must know that even though we start with the suppression action today, It's going to take like three weeks before we see the effects on the healthcare system.
1: Is that the target then? Three weeks of of quarantine or is there a longer?
0: Longer. Sorry, longer. Absolutely longer. I think that's that's the only measure to take. And what you have to do during the suppression time is that, that authorities have to build up a stockpile of instruments for detection. Detection and also rules about quarantine for the sort of small fires sparkling up here and there so you have to do it i think with suppression you can press it down to minimum as low as possible in the actual time and then start to measure 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 detect 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 and quarantine people as quick as possible to minimize the pressure on the healthcare system because if the healthcare system collapses then it's going to have effects backwave effects out in society extreme effects
1: I mean, because walking around Stockholm these days, I mean, at least where I live in midsen it seems like there's not much going on in terms of social distancing and things like that. People are out in the streets and even in, in, in um, shops and pubs and things like that. So this, yeah. this probably needs to be instituted fairly soon and last for a month or so. I guess that's what uh, you're, you're uh, implying there. Yeah,
0: something, something like that. More than a month, probably. but more, uh, more than a month. Yeah, I think so. I think so because you have this time lag from infection to, to full blown disease. So, you think it's just a matter uh, of time then
1: that we, that we end up in the same, if on the current path we're on now, that it's only a matter of time that we end up in the same situation as Italy, Spain, perhaps other places in the world?
0: Yeah, well, maybe it's not become as bad as, as Italy. I'm not sure about that. But uh, even though it's just one tenth of the situation in Italy, it's going to be really, really painful. Really painful.
1: Okay, so you. So, and you see- dirty. Seems like you are you're agreeing with some of the critique that has come from both within Sweden from the medical community as well as from outside oh, yeah. of Sweden. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, so completely. What is what is the- because because everything everything boils down to one central part, and that's okay. You have two person and one virus. One is infected, the other is not, and the only way to sort of prohibit the other going to be infected or stop that the other going to be infected is to have this social distancing, absolute social distancing. These two people shouldn't meet because if they do, the one infected going to infect the other one. And that's the way we keep on the, the chain of infections. And that's the only way, the only biological way to stop it is by that. Because we have no other means. We have no vaccine, we have no antivirus, nothing. And no herd immunity virtually.
1: I mean, this herd immunity, that seems to be one component of the Swedish strategy. Is that right? That uh, just a sort of slow onset of this amongst the population will will build up some sort of herd
0: immunity? Yeah, yeah, they try to achieve some sort of herd immunity very slowly because they say, okay, we're going to press down the curve so it's not above the threshold for healthcare's collapse. So we're going to press it down below that line, dashed line. I don't think it's possible because it's widespread now in the community, at least here in Stockholm so uh, we're going to see waves of people coming into the hospitals and the healthcare system going to fill up very very quickly first of all the all the, the infectious disease departments and other departments as well which are reconstructed for taking care of covid-19 patients but also ICUs the intensive care units going To be filled up, I think so. And uh, if you end up in the respirator, for example, or any sort of breathing support, I mean, you are not out the day after, not really. It takes quite a long time. So, in contrast to influenza or, or flu, for example, which is everything happens so much faster, but uh, this virus is pretty slow. It's, it's very infectious, but it's pretty slow actually, both when it comes to the incubation time. The time for the first symptoms until you get really, really ill.
1: Now, what, what, how did we end up in this situation in Sweden? I mean, we mentioned some of this, these people returning from Italy and things like that. But in terms of the formulation of the government response, obviously there are there's certain high profile experts that are informing the, the, the government. But you're also a very accomplished expert on the subject, uh, and you have a very different conclusion. How does it happen that some voices are heard where others are perhaps on TV and very important for communicating to the public, but are not sort of your, your recommendations are not being implemented? How is this happening in the Swedish system?
0: this is a this is a very old story I think it's from the 15th century actually no the 16th century when we had uh, one person directly under the queen he implemented this sort of bureaucracy system we have today here in Sweden. We are relying very much on that since then. And we also started the, the sort of, well, Sweden is well known for its bureaucracy, but it, it has a very long history, this, is this uh, his sort of now? building up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Axel Oxenstierna, he was the guy who started this. And the problem is that between the, the central authorities, you have and you have the Folkhälsomyndigheten, and you also have the MSB, which are preparing for Big catastrophes, uh, either it's a wood fire or it's an asteroid or yeah, some big accident stuff like that. These three authorities, they are waiting for the decision for Folkesom in mean, the all the time. At least they were in the beginning. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. There was they was like starting a step with one foot left, but they didn't continue walking. So they they stopped. So you had a, a system where Folkhälsomyndigheten I mean, said one thing and the other two authorities, they just adopted it. They just adopted it. and said, OK, we rely on decision from Folkhälsomyndigheten. We, and we tried to ask Folkhälsomyndigheten about that and ask them, what are the basis for your decision? What are you, the, the sort of logical basis for your decision? Can you please be transparent with that? Because if we have reports from Imperial College in London saying, okay, you're on a trajectory which is leading into big, big trouble. And the folk as reacts in a completely different way. Then it becomes confusing, not just for the researchers, for the the whole community and for people living abroad or people from other countries thinking of Sweden. What, What the hell are they doing?
1: Is it some sort of um, prestige or what what, um, what is stopping? I, them from- I, I,
0: I think it boils down to that as well, because we have asked them to please just tell us who are your experts. Can you please tell us who are your experts and what kind of data do you base your decisions on? Please tell us. No way. No way. No way.
1: So there's a real lack of uh, transparency here.
0: Uh, It's a lack of transparency. Absolutely. And so also, in the beginning, it was very much downsizing everything. So when I started talking about this virus in in January and telling in Swedish media and Swedish television, I said that this is going to be a problem virus. This is a very problematic virus. And I'm very concerned about it. And I think it's going to be a pandemic virus. They said, no, it's not going to be a pandemic virus. It's not even for sure that it, it's infecting from people to people. Of course it does. Everybody saw that. Were they Everybody getting, else saw that.
1: Were they getting that information from the WHO? or where? where are they they
0: getting- I, maybe they waited for the information from WHO. I have no idea. But the thing was that all the signs in the sky were there. Because you have a respiratory virus, you have a cluster of cases, and you also have additional cases outside that cluster. That's a red flag. That's a black swan. That's the black swan. So they should have reacted much, much earlier on, on these signals, I think. First of all, admit that this could be a pandemic. And if it's not becoming a pandemic, okay, let's open the champagne and say, okay, congratulations to us. We were so happy this time. So what they did was to, first of all, say it's not going to be a pandemic. It's not going out to China because the Chinese can contain it. They can contain the dragon. Uh, they couldn't, and all of a sudden we had it in Italy, and then the whole mess started. And it's still sort of downsizing everything. Well, it's not so; it's not a big problem because it's down in the in the lowlands, not up in the ski resorts, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It continues like that. And but now they have stepped up now, absolutely, because right right now they realize how bad the situation is. But they should never admit that they have the chance to reverse this from the very beginning, we have to be more cautious about it and more swift because it's not, if you try to uh, search for perfection in your decision-making when it comes to pandemics, you lose the whole race because everything is about the speed of your implementations. Everything is about speed.
1: Perhaps that's one of the flaws in the Swedish system that is so based on the, um, these agencies as opposed to the political decision, yeah. decision makers in these yeah. cases. Perhaps they don't have that yeah. same um, swiftness in, in response, uh, this, this sort of bureaucratic mm. aspect that we talked about before. Mm. So, Dr. Olson, mm. this, this is fascinating stuff. Um, do you think now that uh, you're saying that Sweden is starting to realize that, that the scope of this problem, do you think that Sweden will start changing its strategy and, and embark upon a new course, more a more aggressive course?
0: I hope so. And it's, it's high time to do that now. It's time to do that now. It's exactly the right time to do it now. Maybe a little bit late, but I think there need to be more aggressive, absolutely more aggressive decisions and uh, more harsh decisions because this is going to hurt really bad.
1: Perhaps I could ask one last question. I have a whole bunch more that I'd love to ask you, but I don't want to take take too much of your time. (laughs) But um, just in terms of the, I mean, you hear these famous known unknowns, unknown unknowns. Uh, What what do you think are the greatest and most significant, important unknowns surrounding the virus right now and its spread across uh, Swedish society
0: and the world? First of all, what's happening in the low income countries, especially Africa, parts of Asia, parts of uh, South America? What's going on there? That's one one of the big unknowns. The other big unknown is the herd immunity. And if the herd immunity, if the immunity person by person is protective against new infections with this COVID-19 virus. So I really want to see now the first sort of zero epidemiological studies of a greater cohort of people previously suffering from covid-19 to see the sort of the prevalence of antibodies against this virus in the population because that can give us a very very clear signal of how fast we can sort of reach the herd immunity let's say that you look through um, 2000 people 10000 people i don't know something in the population you take a part of the population and check them for antibodies and you see that the prevalence of antibodies in the population is as low as like, like 5%. That's a completely completely different, I mean, it, that's a striking difference compared to if you have 50% in the population. 50% in the population is very good news. It's very good news. Because then you know that you can reach the herd immunity in a very short time. Maybe this year. But let's say if you have a herd immunity of, let's say, 5%, then you know you have to have this virus for a couple of cycles, over and over again, until you reach the herd immunity, which can take years.
1: And from from previous uh, pandemics uh, like the uh, Spanish flu, it it was the the second, third waves are the most deadly, correct?
0: Yeah, it was. But this, I I think it's it's this virus is not that risky in that way because probably something happened in the between the summer and fall of 1918 because what you did was to repatriate a lot of the troops back to their home countries. So you had an extremely quick uh, spread of people and virus to three continents, and something happened with the virus. So when it came back in the second wave, it was completely different. Not completely, I mean, something happened with the mutations or whatever it was, but it behaved completely differently. So so of a sudden, it came back as a killer, not as a very gentle soft flu, which the first wave was pretty gentle and nice, not so dangerous, but the second wave was really nasty. And when it comes to this virus, I don't think it will behave the same way. I I, I hope not. Absolutely hope not. That could be devastating. But uh, this virus is slower than the flu virus. Absolutely. It's a slower virus. It's more like the old horse Versus the flu virus is more like a very fast racehorse.
1: I'm not a medical expert by any means, but is, is there different strains to this to this virus? It seems like it's it's much more aggressive in some places, like Italy and Spain, uh, here in Sweden, yeah, is, I, or is it just time?
0: I, I think it's first of all it's about time. When you see it, it's a, it's the law about high the, the the big numbers. So if you have a lot of people infected, you see, of course, you have a lot of very, very severe cases and also also fatal cases. And it's also about family structure, social structure within the community. Uh, Let's say that people are meeting each other very easily uh, across the age borders, so to say. So that could be a big difference between Italy, Spain and Sweden. So that's one thing. I, I don't think the virus by itself is more aggressive in Italy than it is in Sweden, for example. I think it's virtually the same virus, the same clone of virus. But as we saw in Italy, the Italian example, for example, uh, I think it was 26 or 28 doctors that died the last last fortnight, and that's horrific numbers. Uh, If you can't protect the ward personnel, then you can't protect the healthcare system, and then it could break down. Then you have collateral damage as well with other diseases. If I can sneak Which
1: in one? one more one more question, Doctor Olson, even though I promised this would be mm-hmm. my last one, um, and it relates to what you just said there. But the um, the uh, hospital personnel uh, dying of this, it seems mm-hmm. like most people have understood this as as a, as a virus that uh, has most uh, powerful impact upon older populations. But is, is that entirely true? Do we know that for a fact? Because it seems like. A 16-year-old girl in France died yesterday. This doctor in China, this doctor Lee, the, yeah. the whistleblower, he was I think mm. 41 uh, when he, di- yeah. he died. Um, yeah. Do we are people younger people absolutely absolutely safe, or is this is this a no, myth at this no. point? No,
0: no, they're not completely safe, and, uh, especially with Doctor Li Li-Lang in China, number 41 in this tragic uh, number of, of, of deaths. Uh, so. Uh, what he was, was probably extremely exposed to the virus. It's also about the attack. If you, I mean, it's one thing if you contract the virus by a social contact on the street where you have a, with a certain amount of virus. But let's say that you're working with severely ill patients excreting a lot of viruses and you are trying to, clean up their airways and stuff with these sucking instruments and stuff like that, and they cough you in the face, you're exposed to many, many more viruses. It's billions and billions of viruses. So if you don't ha- don't have the right or the proper protective gear, for example, then you can be uh, exposed to extremely high amounts of virus. And that could be one factor, which is also... Uh, why younger persons are infected, where you see these younger persons, very sad cases, and also what personnel, for example, dying in the, when they are in the 40s or 30s or 50s or something like that.
1: So it's not a uh, binary so, then, it's not either you, you have it or you don't, it's actually the degree yeah. you're exposed to this virus then.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's one important factor, absolutely, definitely. Especially these people working in, in, in China and in Italy. They're totally exhausted. They're totally exhausted.
1: So the natural differences are lower at that point then?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's also about the number of cases. Of course, if you have, let's say that you have 10,000 people in the 30s, okay, four or five of them going to behave a little bit different than the rest. And you're going to notice these cases because they're aberrant. They shouldn't be there, but they are there, compared to the group if you are 80 plus or 70 plus Then you can more expect that these fatal cases or very severe cases occur. You get more used to them because they're more common. But, uh, of course, when you have the big, big numbers in other age groups, you're going to see deaths. You're going to see big numbers. They're going to add up. They're going to add up.
1: So you think that's on the horizon as well, then, that there'll be more younger cases then? Yeah, we're going
0: to see. Yeah, yeah. As this continues, we're going to see more and more younger cases. Absolutely, we're going to see cases in, in population groups who didn't really expect it to happen. Of course, most of the people in, in the 30s they're going to have a mild disease, but a few of them are going to behave different. And every time 30 years is dying, and, and this virus is going to be exposed extremely much in media.
1: Perhaps that's the wake-up call we're waiting for here in Sweden. Very very sadly, yeah, tragically. Yeah,
0: yeah. I remember it was a discussion. When we started to discuss these viruses, the pandemic virus, and it became clear that uh, it was mainly people from the older age groups or with underlying disease that were sort of hit by the virus and hit hard by the virus. There was discussion, oh, yeah, it well, it just infects people more older than 70 with underlying conditions. What, what's the name just? What's that? Where did that come from? Because the whole society, our society and also our healthcare system is to protect the weakest and the oldest in the society. So what we need to do, what's going to happen after this, is that we are twisting or turning our, you know, the little arrow in the compass, for example. We're going to twist it a little bit compared to how it was before. Before it was in one position and after this corona. Pandemic. When it's over, we're going to have twisted it a little, little bit in another direction. Well, society
1: mm. is certainly going to change in the aftermath of this, uh, of this yeah. uh, devastating oh. crisis. That uh, is, is the, the yeah. biggest event of my lifetime, and probably in, in several different, oh, different yeah. generations, several lifetimes.
0: Oh. I, I think. I think. First of all, or second, the last thing I'm going to say is. I think this is a general rehearsal for the next one. I mean, you can just imagine if it were if this was a completely new influenza, for example, where you have a high attack rate across all the age groups with a higher fatality rate. That could be really, really horrific. So
1: when you say a, a rehearsal for the next one, do you mean the next wave of coronavirus or do you mean actually
0: an entirely no, new the, virus? No, the next, no, it could be a completely different virus. It could be a coronavirus, of course, the COVID-24 or something like that. We have no idea. We know it's going to happen. And it's a, apparently it's happened more often now. because so This is the third introduction of coronavirus in 18 years. That's a sign in the sky. The other thing is uh, that we have also this flu virus, all these flu viruses circuli- circulating around in nature and out in the environment. And we have no idea what's going on there. No idea. We know that there have caused during the 20th century at least three big pandemics. And the first one, that was the Spanish flu with more than 50 million deaths. So,
1: wow. I so, mean, it's not, not the most encouraging note to leave off the interview for. And I'd love to ask you more about why you think they're becoming more frequent, these, these uh, pandemics. But uh, I, I realize...
0: No, it's a question about uh, the urbanization. It's a question of becoming soon 8 billion people. It's a question of our tendency to over-harvest our environment and eating up everything that swims, fly, crawl or whatever. It's an absolute consequence of this, unfortunately.